Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. My name is Scott Gilliland. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Lover's Lane. And along with Reagan Gilliland, who's also my wife, uh, we get to co-pastor this service that we call Thrive. And we are so glad that you're with us this morning as uh, we are officially in the longest days of summer. And uh, we are continuing in a sermon series that we just started last week. A special word of greeting to those joining us online those who are here for the very first time this morning, I uh, hope that if nothing else, uh, that through this morning's experience, you could uh, come to see that our mission statement is loving all people into relationship with Jesus Christ and that that's true in word and action. Uh, we are continuing in a new sermon series that we started last week that is called Fixer Upper. Uh, Fixer Upper making spiritual renovations, uh, kind of theming it off of the famous TV show and talking about uh, essentially identifying some defects of character, some, some things in our character that we can struggle with, and, and how it is that uh, Scripture and our faith and our walk with Jesus can offer us a better alternative uh, to these things that, that we can struggle with in our daily living. Last week, Stan talked about the subject of envy and, and kicked us off well, uh, talking about the parable of the vineyard workers and, and how we can uh, become green and even sick with envy and how dangerous that can be for us, and then moving to a position of gratitude and the spiritual importance of being in a position of gratitude. Today we're going to talk about pride. Uh, the, we're going to talk about the struggle with pride. And pride is one of those uh, sins that's a little bit tricky. It's a little bit difficult uh, because it's one of those words that we're going to talk about in just a second um, after we read our scripture. It's a word that is, is frustratingly broad. Because uh, pride really can refer to a whole lot of things, and we need to sort of understand what kind of pride really is sinful. We're going to talk about that today, and, so, and then we're going to talk about what should we do about it. So the question, the big question I want us to wrestle with today is this, when is pride a sin? When is pride a sin? We're going to talk about that. And what is the fixed up alternative? What is the, the alternative that Jesus is leading us towards if it's not pride? And to help us with this conversation, we're going to be looking at a set of scriptures from the Gospel of Luke, beginning in chapter 18, Luke chapter 18, uh, verses 9 through 14. Uh, this is Jesus teaching a, a crowd of people, uh, those of, most of whom come from the Jewish tradition, and he's been teaching about essentially kind of this idea of, of who's in and who's out. That's a big question they have uh, for Jesus and his ministry is, you know, who, who's in this community and who's not in this community, or even bigger than that, who, who gets entrance into heaven and who doesn't, um, because we are still obsessed with that, I think, today. And Jesus always offers them these challenging answers that are not the simple answers that they want, but really challenging answers that we need. And that's what today's passage is. It's one of those answers. He's and he's speaking specifically about this issue of pride. So before we read our scripture this morning, I want us to go to God in prayer at Lover's Lane. Here at this church, we believe that scripture is a living text. It's the inspired word of God, and so we invite the Holy Spirit to be a part of reading uh, these words so that they can come alive for us this morning and so that they can impact our lives. So uh, let's turn to God in prayer. Gracious God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for having a space that is cooled off and comfortable. Um, we give thanks for the gift of water that we can drink. Um, and God, we give thanks for those things, knowing that not everyone has those comforts this morning. 
Not everybody has access to the things that we do. And so we don't take that for granted, God. God, we give you thanks for this community of faith and a space where we can come and we can ask hard questions and we can even bring our doubts um, and we can be received with, with love and with grace. We know, again, that not everybody has access to that and we don't take that for granted. And God, we give thanks for you. We give thanks for your presence with us. We give thanks for your spirit. And we just ask that you would make these words that we're about to read from your St. Luke, um, that, that they would come alive for us, that they would leap off of the screens, off the pages of our Bibles, and into our hearts. They might change the way that we live. All this we pray in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, uh, we pick up in chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. And it says this, Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. And here's the parable that he tells. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was saying this, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled And all who humble themselves will be exalted. The word of God for the people of God, let us say. Thanks be to God. So before we walk through, and I do want us to walk through this text because it's short, but it's, it's rich and it's deep. And we're going to walk through and unpack what all of that was about. Before we do that, though, let, let's talk about defining pride. What we're talking about today when we talk about the sin of pride. Because as I said in the beginning, pride is one of those words that's just too broad. Another word like that is the word love. In the English language, we have words that are sometimes very specific and sometimes very frustratingly broad. Love is a frustratingly broad word word, right? I love my wife. I love my parents. I love my daughter. I love the Dallas Cowboys. I love tacos, right? That, it's insane that I can use the same emotion to describe all of those relationships, right? And in the Bible, there's very specific words that are used to describe my love for my wife or my love for my parents or my love for my children or my love for my friends or my love for tacos, right? Um, pride is one of those words that we have this broad definition of what it means to be someone who takes pride in things. I want to talk about the difference between taking pride in something and being a proud person. So first, what does it mean to take pride in something. We're going to celebrate our uh, God and Country concert tonight. A uh, quick little plug for that at 5 p.m. in the sanctuary. And um, the, the God and Country concert is our time of, of celebrating the work that we see God doing through our country. And, it's, and it's, we do it leading up to 4th of July. And, and there's a lot of people who take great pride in being an American. When I grew up in my elementary school, I had this music teacher. And I wouldn't, I'm not sure if it was every day, but at least every week, we would stand up and we would sing lead 
Lee Greenwood's I'm Proud to Be an American, right? Did anybody else have this experience growing up, or was that just me? And I mean, I, I, that, that cymbal crash in that last chorus, you know, I'm proud to be an American. I mean, I waited for that every single time. I thought that was the best thing ever. Uh, some of us take pride in being American. We take pride in our patriotism. I take pride in my marriage. I take pride in my family. I'm proud of my daughter who showed up to church today wearing a, a Hulk Hogan dress because she is the coolest kid in the world. Uh, and I taught her how to say, hey, brother, and she did it, and it was awesome. Um, so that's how my day is going. And uh, so I can take pride in these things. I take pride in my work. I know that a lot of us take pride in our work. I don't think any of these things are bad, especially when we know what it means to take pride in them. I don't take pride in my marriage because I think I'm just that awesome of a husband. I take pride in my marriage, number one, because Reagan still is putting up with me after all these years. And number two, because I see the hand of God in that relationship. I see the work of God in the love that we get to share. I take pride in my daughter because I see the hand of God upon her. And I give thanks to God for who she is and the young woman that she's becoming. I take pride in my work because I get to have a front row seat to the work of God through, through ministry here at Lover's Lane. I take pride in my country when we live into those values that I know that God supports, when we take care of those who are in need, when we take uplift the oppressed and the downtrodden. I take pride in these things, not because of my own efforts, not because of who I am, but because of what I see other people doing and because of especially the work that I see God is about. Now, I think that's holy. I think it's good to take pride in things when you can say, I'm so thankful I get to see the work of God in these things in my life. That's not bad. We're not talking about losing that today. And in and, and, and talking about ourselves, being someone who takes pride in yourself, let, let's carve with a scalpel today. You know, I've heard some churches talk about pride and humility, because that's, that's the, the better alternative we're going to talk about, spoiler alert. I've heard churches talk about pride and humility, and they make it sound like in order to move from being a proud person to being a humble person, you have to learn how to hate yourself. And I don't think that's the way we get there, friends. You, you know, it, I, I, it's so frustrating for me when I hear theologies where, where basically we're being asked to think of ourselves as these worthless worms. And I'm being, like, I've heard that kind of language used before in churches, you know, we're just worms, we're despicable, we're worthless. And I, wanna, I just want to shake that person and go, then why did Jesus die on the cross for you? If you're so worthless, if you lack so much value, why in the world would God be willing to come down into human form and go and sit on a cross and die and bleed and die for you and then rise out of a tomb for you? Stop telling people that they are worthless and have no value. The God of the universe has declared that we do have worth and value, so stop it. So I'm getting worked up. Because this is one of those subjects that I hear preached so dangerously. Because I think that preachers think that in order to kill pride, we have to kill self-respect. And we have to kill this idea that, that we understand our value and our worth. Let me tell you something. In order to be a humble human being, you have to know your worth and your value. Or else you're not being humble, you're just being self-deprecating. And they're not the same thing. Are you all with me? So I think we got to be really clear that it is okay to see yourself as someone with worth and value and beauty, to take pride in who God made you to be. Again, what is this about? It's not about me. It's about thanking God as my creator for making me who I am and giving me the grace, gifts and graces that I know God gave to me and saying, thank you. I take pride in who you've made me to be. 
It's about taking pride in the value, the worth that you see God expressing on the cross for who you are. It's about thanking God for the beauty that God has created in you. So let's not sacrifice these things in the, in the name of becoming humble. Let's just make sure we're directing our, our gratitude and our pride the right way, and that is pointing it back up to God. Let's sum it up this way. The cost of humility is self-righteousness, not self-respect. So as we begin this conversation, what is pride as a sin? Pride, when it becomes sinful, is when you don't just say, I have worth, I have value, I have beauty. Those are all fine things to say. Pride is when you say, I am more worthy than everybody else or than those people, the tax collectors in your life. You say, I am more valuable than those people. I am more beautiful than those people. That's when it becomes an issue of sinful pride. When we begin to elevate ourselves into this superior, this false sense of superiority complex. And so the cost of humility is self-righteousness. This carrying myself as I'm better, I'm more worthy, I'm more valuable, I'm more beautiful. That's the cost of humility, not self-respect. Y'all with me? Let's keep moving. If you're not with me, well, I guess we're going to keep moving anyways. Uh, All right. So let's walk through this text, because like I said, it's, it's a short parable, but there's some things, if you blink, you'll miss them. And I also understand that not all of us are, are biblical scholars, and so there may be a lot of things in your here that you're like, what is a Pharisee? Let's talk about all that, okay? So it says this, he, was, he also told this parable to some who um, trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So let's define who these characters are. So a Pharisee, if, if you don't know, it, these were uh, religious types, very religious people living in Jesus' day. And a lot of times we can mischaracterize them as only being these hypocrites who preached religion but never really practiced it. And that's not really fair because Pharisees took their religion very seriously. They were serious about studying scripture and about debating scripture. They were serious about practicing the tenets of their faith. Now, did they, did they get off base in terms of what religion was supposed to be about ultimately? Sure, sure they did. But to say they're hypocrites is not entirely accurate because they earnestly were trying to be religious religious people, and they took it very, very seriously. So this is a, a Pharisee is like saying, you know, this is a, a very religious person who always went to church, who always tithed their money. He's going to tell you in a second all the good things that he does. So this is a religious person who does these things out of earnest. And then there's a tax collector. If you don't know the story about tax collectors, in, in Jesus's day, tax collectors were the most despised, some of the most despised people in the Jewish community or in any of the communities that the Roman Empire had conquered because the, the, their structure for governance was they would conquer a territory and then they would tax the territory, but rather than sending their own Roman authorities down to tax and collect taxes, they would enlist members from the community to then go around and collect taxes. And the way you got paid as a tax collector was you would go to your community members, your family and friends, right? And you would collect not just the taxes required by the government, but the only way you actually made any money was if then you taxed above and beyond. You got to skim off the top, right? And so a lot of tax collectors did a whole lot of skimming. They would inflate the taxes and then keep all the extra for themselves. So imagine you're in a community that's been occupied by this foreign empire, and then your cousin Jimmy starts hounding you for money, and you notice he just put a pool in his backyard. Meanwhile, you can barely put food on the table. Do you like Cousin Jimmy very much right now? 
No, you don't. Um, and so tax collectors, that, that, that's how they were seen in the community. They were despicable. They were traitors to their own people. So this is the image that Jesus is saying. You've got a Pharisee who's an earnest religious person. They do everything the right way, supposedly, and a tax collector, the bottom of the barrel, the traitorous member of the community, and they're going to temple, right? So this is the scene that Jesus sets up. And then it says the Pharisee standing by himself, and let's stop there. I told you, blink and you'll miss it, right? Um, the Pharisee was standing by himself. Uh, two things here. First is the, the language for this phrase, standing by himself, it's, it's a little unclear as to what that phrase means because you'll see in other translations of the Bible, it doesn't say he was standing by himself, it says he was praying to himself, which almost like heightens the, the, the level of pride that he's exemplifying. He's not praying to God, he's praying to himself. But then again, if he's standing by himself, let's be clear about why that would be. It's not because he's trying to find a quiet corner of the church to pray because he, you know, he's an introvert. No, he's standing by himself because the religion that he was following told him that he had to keep himself clean from all these filthy sinners that may be in the temple with him. And so he sees there's this tax collector not too far off, and so he's moving over here to make sure he doesn't get anywhere close to this unclean tax collector. So he's standing by himself to make sure that he doesn't get dirtied by the common people or by the less than desirable people, the those people in his community. So either way you translate that, it doesn't make the Pharisee look good, right? So he's standing by himself and, uh, and, and also that phrase connects with the tax collector's physical position later on, we'll find out. And he, and he prays this. I love the way his prayer begins. God, I thank you. And you're like, oh, this is going to be a nice prayer, right? For not making me like other people, right? Um, <laughs> the, the wheels fall off this prayer pretty quickly, you know? And, and here's the funny thing. You know, the, the, the Pharisee would have been praying in the traditional Jewish style at this time. You know, we pray today like this, right? We teach our kids to pray, you know, bow your head and put your hands together and, and we, we close her eyes, and it's this real sort of um, you know meek and, and humble way of praying. And if you didn't know that that image comes from in part this story of the tax collector. Um, but the the, the Jewish uh, Pharisee would have been praying like this. Hands stretched wide and face looking straight to God. This was the, the traditional way that you would pray in the temple at that time. And so he's saying this out loud with his head up, right? If you say quietly, God, thank you so much for not making me like those other people. You know, that's one thing. But he goes, God, thank you for not making me like these other people, right? I mean, it, it's almost comedy, Right? You're supposed to chuckle at this because it's just such a ridiculous scene. This Pharisee standing in the temple, thanking God out loud, arms outstretched, face raised to the heavens, saying, Thanks for making me not like Jimmy. You know, thank you so much, God. Um, he says, I fast twice a week, I tithe. A tenth of all of my income. And the way that it's phrased there, you can almost hear the gospel writer putting an ellipses or an et cetera, et cetera there, right? You can tell, like, he's going to be going on with this for a while, right? I don't think he stopped there. I imagine the Pharisee had a very long laundry list of all the good things he had been about that week. 
here's the point of the, of the Pharisee's prayer. The Pharisee is the hero of his own story. He is the center of his universe, and everybody else around him is the villain, right? God, thank you so much for making me perfect, and thank you so much for not making me like these you know, people that I have to suffer through life with. Oh, my gosh. And this is the danger, I think, of adopting what I would call a narcissistic faith, a faith that's really ultimately all about me and all about me being the hero. All, it's all about my personal journey and the work that God's doing in my life. And we carry ourselves as though we're some higher enlightened life form, right? Have you ever met a narcissistic Christian? Have you been a narcissistic Christian? I have before in my life when I felt like, oh, I just understand things that nobody, oh, if only you could see things the way that I do. Isn't that such great evangelism when someone talks to you like you're the world's biggest idiot? Isn't that great? Doesn't that make you just want to go to church so bad? I mean, this is the danger of a narcissistic faith is before we know it, we can laugh at the Pharisee, but how many of us, maybe you didn't go to church and point your head up, but maybe you wrote a Facebook post that you didn't realize came across the way that it did. Maybe you said something in a conversation that you didn't realize was a big slap in the face of the person you were talking to. And it's just, it's a gut check for me to remember that my faith cannot be completely about myself. As much as I want God to be at work in my life, as much as I want to be impacted personally by my relationship with Jesus, if that's where it stops, if that's what I think this faith journey is about, is about me, oh my gosh, have I twisted it around and made myself the hero of my own story. It's also the dangerous, I think, when we adopt a faith that, that looks like a meritocracy, Right? And by that I mean a faith that's all based around if you do good, you get good, and if you do bad, you get bad. Right? The Pharisee likes the idea of a faith where if you check all the right boxes, if you do all the right things, then you're kind of climbing this corporate ladder of God's company. Right? And that can be a comfortable idea for a lot of us because we live in a meritocracy in a lot of ways here in our culture. Um, and the frustrating part of faith is that we can't come to God and say, look at how good I've been. Because at the end of the day, no, we're not worthless worms. We're not despicable. But, guys, we, we are all sinners. We are all in the same boat of needing the same grace and the same salvation. Yes, even as, quote, those people, whoever your those people are, uh, we're all in that same boat together. So the tax collector. So we've seen the Pharisee, and, we've seen, and he's been exposed for um, not being a hypocrite, but just not really understanding the point of his faith. The tax collector, it says, though, was standing far off. And, and this is meant to kind of be juxtaposed with the, the Pharisee was standing by himself, but the tax collector standing far off. This is his position of saying, I really don't feel like I belong in this space, right? It's, it's emphasizing the fact that he's, he's hesitant to even be in the same room as the Pharisee, not because he thinks himself better, but because he thinks himself so much worse, Right, so he's standing far off. He's, he's practically in like the, the entryway doors just thinking like, I don't think I can go any further in than here. And, and, and then he, it says he was not even looking up to heaven. So this is challenging the idea of like, well, this is the way you pray to God. Instead, he's got his head bowed and it says he's beating his breast. And this would have been a sign of, of grief or penitence in the Jewish community. So he wasn't coming to God to celebrate something. He was almost mourning, right? He was coming to God head bowed, beating his breast. And he says this simple prayer, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Because that phrase saying almost gives the idea of he's, this is his only phrase and he's, and he's repeating it. He doesn't go on and on. He doesn't have a laundry list. It's just a simple prayer with a period at the end. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I think it's really cool in the ways that throughout the Gospels, Jesus uplifts really simple prayer. It's funny to me as a pastor how many times I'll be in a setting where I'll ask someone to pray. And what do they all do? They all bow their heads really quick, right? Not because they're ready to pray, but because they don't want to lock eyes with me because they're terrified they're going to be asked to pray. And people treat prayer like you got to go to seminary to learn how to pray, right? Newsflash, there's no class for it, right? You're just talking to God. And, uh, and, and people will say, well, I'm, I'm just not really good at praying. Like, not good at praying. Like, I love that Jesus says this is how you should pray. It's like, Seven words, guys. It's seven words. It's so simple. Even the Lord's Prayer, right? The magnum opus of prayers that Jesus gives is like a handful of lines that all of us can memorize and, and can recite from, from memory. You know, we, we treat prayer like it's got to be this big, long, exhaustive thing. And I know that there are folks who like to pray and like to pray long, and that's awesome, and that's great. But if that's not you, that's okay. If your prayer is simply, God, I just need your mercy today. That's a great prayer. In fact, it's so good it made it into the Bible, right? It's that good of a prayer. So let, let, let's, let's give ourselves a little bit of grace when it comes to praying and not feel like we got to have this, like, beautiful sermon to pray. You really don't. In fact, if you offer that before a meal, people are going to be mad that their food's getting cold. Keep it short and sweet for a change. See, see what happens when you come to God with a simple prayer. You put a period on it, and then you just let the space breathe. And we're going to talk about that in a second, too. This, this prayer also, interestingly enough, became a spiritual practice for Eastern Orthodoxy. Um, and, and I don't know, maybe we've got a former Eastern Orthodox or current Eastern Orthodox person in the room. Um, so this bracelet I'm wearing, it comes from the Eastern Orthodox faith, and it's got 33 knots on it. Uh, and it's used kind of akin to the way the rosary is used in the Catholic faith, where they, they have what they call the Jesus prayer, and it's essentially a modified version of the prayer from this story, where they say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And it's simple, it, it's super easy to memorize, and then the, the bracelet is just a way for you to walk through meditatively and pray that prayer 33 times. Now, I'm going to be honest, um, I, you know, I've thought about getting this bracelet for years, actually, since it was recommended to me back in seminary. And I'd put it off, and this week I was like, you know what? I'm preaching on this. Let me try this out. I've gotten to five knots so far, right? So I'm doing, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm so ADD. It's so hard. But that's probably exactly why I need to be about the spiritual practice because it's hard. Um, but it, it's interesting to me that such a simple prayer has been has been uplifted and celebrated by an entire enormous swath of Christianity in the world. And so maybe this week, the one takeaway from for you, you go on, you can go on. I got this off of Amazon, right? At 33 not bracelet. It's a simple way to make a simple prayer a part of your regular life. Hmm? Oh, the words, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. They expanded it slightly. It's not seven words for them. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so uh, then, then Jesus ends the story. Good question. Thank you. Jesus ends the story saying, I tell you, this man, meaning the tax collector, went down to his home justified rather than the Pharisee. 
And here's the way he ends his story. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. And I want to talk about that phrase for a second, because I think the way he phrases this is really critical. And this is where we're going to kind of bring this home for today. Um, It is impossibly easy to be humbled. Everybody can be humbled, right? Because to be humbled means that there's an outside force humbling me. How many of us have been humbled by our lives? I'm not seeing every hand up, and I should. Either that or you're like a classic narcissist and like nothing affects you at all. You're like, no, I'm great. Nothing's my fault ever. Um, It is really easy for life to humble us when we lose the job that we thought was secure, when we don't get the promotion that we thought was ours in the bag, when the relationship we thought was great falls apart, right? Life can humble us when we uh, begin to get this sense that everything's great, everything's perfect, don't have to worry about a thing, and then all of a sudden you get blindsided by something that you did not expect, and that is a humbling experience, right? Jesus doesn't tell us that what we're aiming for is to be humbled. He says, all who humble themselves will be exalted. Now that is a lot harder to do. Humbling yourself means you're being intentional, you're being proactive, and even though things are going well, even though you might think that, hey, I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good in this life, you're intentionally trying to undercut that ego just a little bit to keep yourself in check to say, no, 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 this is not about me. My world is not about me. I'm not the master of my universe. This life is about God. This life is about the people around me. This life is not ultimately about me. Humbling yourself requires intentionality. It requires dedication. It requires attention. Like on a daily basis, it's hard work. And we're not always going to get this right. But the task collector shows us what it can look like to, to lead a humble life. Even this lowly tax collector, right, shows us what it can look like to lead a humble life. And and I want to focus on that tax collector's prayer, and and as I was reflecting on that prayer this week, I I felt like God was leading me in three different ways, and I want to share those ways with you, and maybe these are practices you can be about this week too. This is what I'm going to commit to myself uh, today and and these days moving forward. Number one, learning to, oh, I forgot to say, the reason I'm going this direction is I I believe this. When we humble ourselves, what I notice in that prayer is we learn to listen and to be led. When we humble ourselves, we learn to listen and to be led. When I look at the the tax collector's prayer, I I see someone who is willing to listen and to be led by the Spirit of God. And that is really hard for me. I don't know about you. How many of us are really bad at listening and allowing others to lead. Anybody? Is that just me? Okay, okay, good, 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 good. Um, Otherwise, it's going to be really impractical for the whole room, right? So uh, first thing I'm going to try to be about this week is listening in prayer. So So often I make the mistake of thinking prayer is my time to talk to God. Prayer is my time to talk to God, to tell God, all that's going on in my life, just to check, you know, fill him in because he hadn't been paying attention, right? Um, you know, I didn't know if you noticed, um, but this is what's happening in, in my world. Um, it, it's my time to talk to God. And, and, and what I see when I read the prayer of the tax collector is um, my talking needs to be a lot shorter. And my listening needs to be a lot longer. And I've made it to five knots on my bracelet. This is hard. It is hard to speak and then stop and then listen. 
So this week, what I'm going to try and do is every day, I'm going to try and spend one more minute than the day before listening in prayer. And you might think, Sky, it's just a minute. Those of us who do not sit still in silence well can tell you a minute is eternity of sitting in stillness and silence. So I'm going to pray that simple prayer, and then I'm just going to listen for a whole minute. And then on Tuesday, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to listen for two minutes. And on Wednesday, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to listen for three minutes. And then by this time on Sunday, next Sunday, I could sit and listen for seven minutes. What if your prayer life is like off the rails right now, and this is a way for you to get back to seven minutes of listening to God? I want to go on that journey with you this week. So let's try to do that. Second thing I'm going to try to do is not just listen to God. That can be easy enough for some of us. Now I also am going to try to practice listening to other people. This is something I've been working on for a while. Because if there's, I don't know if anybody else is like me in the room. Um, I'm happy to be the first one to talk in a group setting, right? Because I hate sitting in silence. There's nothing worse than an awkward silence in a group setting. Somebody say amen. And so I'm more than happy to lift my voice up. And one thing that I know God has been working on my soul the last probably three or four years is learning how to sit and keep my mouth shut and to listen to other people that are around me in work, in social life, whatever. And it's amazing the things that I will learn if I will just stop talking and listen. And I didn't say stop talking and wait and think about what you're going to say when it's your turn to talk. Some of us are really good about sitting quietly and contemplating, what am I going to say when it's my turn to talk? No, no, actually checking in and listening to what other people are saying around you. I've even had to do the practice of putting my fingers over my mouth I'm serious to like keep myself from talking. So now my staff, now the other people on staff will know that when I'm sitting there like this is because I'm physically controlling myself to stop from talking in that moment. So I've just outed myself there. Uh, The last, uh, the the last way that I I feel God's leading me this week, and I want to challenge us to be led this week, is to ask someone that I would not normally ask to lead me in a new way. And, And this can be big or it can be little. This could be Um, beginning a conversation with someone and asking them a question that you've been putting off for a long time and and listening and allowing yourself to be humble and to receive their response. It could be in a work setting, inviting a team member who normally is not asked to lead to step up to the plate and to lead in a new way. Um, I know that I'm normally the type of person that is happy to step into that leadership void and to always be in charge and to always be in control. And I know that's something that we've got to struggle with here in North Dallas, folks. Um, and, and so maybe this week the challenge for you is allowing someone other than yourself and someone that you wouldn't normally turn to to lead you in a new way. Maybe that's in a relationship. Maybe that's at work. Maybe that's in your family. So I hope that you appreciate this story as much as I do. It's it's a short story, and at the center of it is this short prayer. But it's so rich, and it's so deep. And it can allow us to place upon this altar of sacrifice this pride that says, I am the reason everything exists, and I am the hero of my story, and I am perfect and so much better than everybody else. And instead, we can adopt, like Stan said last week, a spirit of gratitude that leads us into a spirit of humility that says, I know that I'm worthy. I know I'm valuable. I know that God loves me. The tax collector goes to the temple because he knows that, that, that God's character wants to have mercy. Um, and at the same time, I'm not going to make my life about myself. And I'm not going to carry myself higher than I should. And I'm going to listen and I'm going to be led by the Spirit and by others around me. Let's go to God in prayer. Gracious God, we give you thanks for this day. And we do bow our heads this morning. We bow our heads this morning, maybe some of us out of grief, 
Maybe we're beating our breasts. Maybe we've just suffered through one of the most difficult weeks of our lives. And we just need a God who can shower us with grace and with mercy because we're not finding it anywhere else. God, some of us bow our heads out of respect because we know you as the Lord of our lives. And we understand what it's like to have your hand upon our shoulders. We bow our heads because we see you as our king, our great leader, and we're willing to be led again. And some of us, God, may be bowing our heads against our wills. Maybe we've been carrying ourselves with too much pride, too much self-confidence, believing we're the masters of our own universes. We have to learn again what it means to carry ourselves with humility. So God, this week, allow us to move from the sin of pride to the posture of humility. Let us celebrate and recognize the way in which you move and are at work in the world around us. And let us take pride in those things. And by taking pride in them, we celebrate you and we declare glory for your name. And and God, let us even see the worth and the value and the beauty in us and to celebrate you as our creator and our redeemer and our sustainer. But God, don't allow us to gain that false sense of superiority. Lead us not only to be humbled by our life experiences, but to humble ourselves intentionally, actively, on a daily basis. Reminding ourselves that you alone are God. And that we were put upon this earth not for our own sakes, but for your sake and for the sake of our neighbor. God, we give you thanks for your leading this morning. We give you thanks for the example of the Pharisee and the tax collector. God, let us not sneer and say, thanks for not making me like a Pharisee. Let us have the same heart of grace and mercy for those who turn to religion for the wrong reasons. Let us have that same heart and mercy for those who are seen as disgusting in our communities. And let us see ourselves on the same even ground as each in need of the same grace, in need of the same mercy. God, allow our prayers to be simple. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us, sinners. Amen.